This is Pod Request, live from the heart of Brooklyn. Pod Request is an hour-long podcast about everything in and relating to technology. Starring three techno experts. Eric Newman. Hi. Chris Grabowski. Hello. And Tyler Dinner. Hey there. This week's episode, Get Out. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Polar Request. My name is Eric Newman, and to my left, as always, is nobody because we do this podcast alone. But on the internet is Chris Grabowski. Hello. Hello. And to his metaphorical left is Tyler Dinner. Hello, how are you? Hey, guys, I'm doing good. Fantastic. Well, it's certainly nice to have all of you back here this week. Uh, Tyler, I went to your home state, and uh, you weren't here to listen to me complain about it. No, I heard you got lots of sunshine, which I'm very jealous of. I got lots of sunshine uh, and a slight tan, because, uh, you know, it's still long sleeve weather in February a little bit, but uh, I don't know. I, I dealt had a, with I some d- nasty lady named Bella. Not a fan. Say that again? I dealt with some nasty lady named Bella. You dealt with some nasty lady some named storm Bella? storm lady. Oh. Is that her name? Storm Bella? Storm oh, I don't know. We don't track <laughs> snowstorms. <laughs> I, no, I had no idea there was a name. <laughs> Yeah, no, the weather cha- Christian, the Weather Channel started naming snowstorms because they're easier to track, oh, I guess. Yeah. They're not Stella. official. Stella's the name of the storm. I'm sorry. It's not... Stella! It's not... Stella, bra. <laughs> it's not official. Like, the National Weather Service or NOAA name hurricanes. But winter storms aren't officially named except on the Weather Channel. Um, ah. Yes. And in the past week... So, you know what? Speaking of California... Uh, actually... Uh, speaking of... Where is it? California! Yeah, you missed that last week, too, Tyler. Um, I'm the person who can make it rain in California and prevent the blizzard from happening in New York, and I think I did both of those things in the last two weeks. Uh, so we were supposed to get a blizzard, and we did not. We got something. Yeah, we got a bunch of ice and four inches of snow, and uh, it's been real fun walking around this place for the last week. Right? Brown snow. The best. Oh, yeah. Oh, Brown it's not snow. even, like, really snow anymore, though. It's much as just, like, this... Just dirt. It's kind of, it's kind of like a 7-Eleven Slurpee, but made of dirt. <laughs> <laughs> made of dirt and poop. And, yeah. It's, uh, I remember I visited uh, MIT when I was in college, and uh, they have pink snow. And uh, I think that in New what, York, you that could like, find... Is that the blood of one nerd being bullied by another nerd? Yeah, exactly. It's uh, they kill, That's what happens to the people who can't make it through freshman year is they're used to clump up the snow. No, no, they have an additive that is, that's supposed to make the snow easier to shovel, but it turns it pink. Uh, this uh. was from t- 10 years ago. I don't know if it's true now. Hopefully they might have actually solved it. Now it's white. But for all I know, it was pink. I'd say in New York City, we've got all of the other colors of snow that you could not want. Uh, definitely yellow, definitely brown, definitely black, definitely red, definitely green. No blue? I don't think there's blue. Uh, um, there's certain kinds of salts that make the uh, snow blue, uh, blue. Oh, you know what? Yeah, they do have dyed yeah. salts. You could get uh, turquoise dyed. That doesn't count, though. It kind of I mean, it counts, but you know, it almost looks like you killed a clown when you throw out that salt. Um, anyway. Or an Italian ice vendor. Ooh, an Italian ice. Or, uh, uh, as they that, say in Bushwick, Huegas. Also, Wegos? Italians are the number one meme of Jugos. the week. For those of us I have noticed. Sure I, I saw a great meme. <laughs> Edward Italian hands. <laughs> it started with one. I remember seeing the original on Monday or Tuesday. And then the next day, there's like four different memes of Italian hands doing everything. Yeah. Italian Italians are the meme of the week? That is random. The way it's, they it hold wasn't their even... hands when they talk. The pinch. 
the thumb pinched against all four fingers. Yeah, and and then usually traditionally the thing that, that a meme can't really convey is the up and down motion as they talk with those hands. <laughs> Interesting. Colin Quinn has a bit about Italian hand gestures, and I think that's why uh, Italians and Jews get along really well because we both talk with our hands uh, and complain and have big noses. Uh, anyway, but as Seth Rogen has or Seth uh, McFarlane has said, Italians are not Jews. Don't forget. Right. <laughs> Thank you, family. Italians are not like Jews. The other thing I would mention is there is a sex move named after Bernie Sanders now, and it all has to do with his hand motions. Oh, Ooh. my God. It's kind of just you take uh, your pointer finger and you shake violently with it. And you don't talk because that probably will kill an erection. <laughs> and I just want to make sure that you are not part of the top. What happened? Why are you leaving? Where, what are you doing? Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, that is my romantic life. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very much falling into the Washington Post article of why developers don't get laid, but I'm actually working on correcting that via uh, an auto-like script on OKCupid. I think that might be a, so a way. Of, actually, allowed what was the complaint? No, it's not. A, it's not allowed. Of course, it's not allowed. Anything. And it might actually technically be like a felony under the DMCA because you're not allowed to go against any sort of protections or restrictions that a software device has. So that's that's technically you know. Something, but um, hmm. I don't don't send me to jail. They would uh, limit their API if you maxed out too many calls. And no, no, no. Yeah, actually, that's, that's, no, no, that's wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on. I will tell you how. Um, because they do. They, they. You will eventually get a four hundred back from uh, the match API. And uh, but what ha when I noticed is when I started doing the first, there is an auto like script that is published on GitHub. It has nothing to do with us that like most things in life didn't work for me. It worked for me for about a day. Uh, what it does is it goes through their quick match thing and it just uh, likes everybody as soon as the like button is available, just one by one by one. Um, but uh, in my uh, life of ironies, what happened is the quick match actually started recommending people 100 miles away. Uh, so I started getting listings like you it's one of these things where you can just set it up set it and forget it and you can just let it run and then come back a day later and you realize you've liked half of Brooklyn which is fine <laughs> um, if they like you back then you can start a dialogue but anyway uh, no so what happened is that you, I'd leave it running for like 10 minutes and then I'd see like Farmingdale Connecticut Hartford Connecticut somewhere in Massachusetts somewhere in Philadelphia just Farmingdale like, well, is uh, Long Island it is Long no there's also a Farmingdale Connecticut interesting Yes, they may reuse city names across state lines, but huh. anyway, or it says farm something, Connecticut. Farmingdale is Long Island. Anyway, my Isn't point is that, that's whatever, farms, that didn't work uh, for that reason. So I wrote a script under the, under a similar circumstance where you go on the matches page and then it just likes everybody and scrolls to the bottom of the page. So it loads new matches. Now, what happens <laughs> when you do that is. Every time, so you can, instead of liking one person at a time, you can like up to 54 people at a time, which is great. Um, and that all trickle, seems to trickle back really well. But what happens is after you like somebody, it actually makes a, um, a request to a stats API. And that is rate limited. And so what I saw is as I was running the script, after like about 10 likes, um, I started getting 400s back from the stats API. So I just blocked the did requests you, Did to you it. inspect the body though to it? I imagine it's just saying like how many it's, yeah, more it's just saying how many people you liked yeah. and when and yeah, uh so, so that's not gonna stop, stop you from actually doing the no, 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 request but you know because this is kind of under the rug 
and if they can, and I'm sure they have some kind of you know heuristics to figure out if people are gaming the system. API errors are a great way to get people's attention because we do that. I'm sure you do that where you work. We do that where Absolutely, I work. Absolutely, yeah. And so what I wanted to do is make sure that I don't get any sort of request errors, and I just redirected the request to that API to localhost. So it just, it, it's great. What happens is eventually, like I said, you'll get, and when I, when I say eventually, I mean, you'll go through about 2,000 people, and then eventually you'll get a 400 from the match API, uh, and then you'll have to reload the page. But you won't get new matches unless you unblock the stats algorithm, so, or the stats API. So the way to do it is you load the page once, and then block the API request, have it cycle through everybody until it hits until it runs out of people unblock it reload the page and then start it over again and it's a little tedious but it's about it's a few minutes of work to like a few thousand people hmm. and out of those few thousand people one of them is like me back so that's something oh, meanwhile man. you've tried exactly the same thing and i think you got laid in half an hour christian after, after trying that uh it was highly effective we can put it that way yeah Yes. <laughs> yes, we have. Uh, I'd love to spend a day in your world. Uh, anyway, um, wait, wait, wait. Let's just let's just sum this up with: if you're a guy, you can get laid by these simple steps, or if you're a girl, you can log on to Tinder and be done in an hour. Yeah, yeah. I mean, girl. Yeah. Well, I mean, but it's a different. Or world. just walk outside, really. But, well, like, I mean, yeah, it's, just it's at, different though the... for girls because you probably have a bunch of dicks just constantly running at you. Just con- hey, like every time I like someone on OkCupid, I think of like, hey, can I put my dick in you? Oh wait, you know this is getting too. It's basically yeah, what uh, maybe we this should change topics much. here. Anyway, uh, anyway, 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 anyway. Slope giggity. Yes. <laughs> um, any conferences? Any conferences this week? Uh, not any this week, but uh, DockerCon just announced their speakers, and it is a tremendous lineup this year. Where is DockerCon? Austin, Texas, this year. Oh. So they're, are they using the same rooms as South By? Uh, I don't believe so. Although um, I did hear uh, South By uh, had uh, some pretty cool uh, trade show things going on. Is South uh, By basically the new CES? Or, what's, or the new context? Sort of. Like, less so of like an actual tech focus so much as culture focus. And now tech is just part of our culture. Right. I don't know. It's probably too mainstream, isn't it? I think uh, South By is a combination of like every type of festival and convention combined into one. Yeah, I'd say so. That like plus uh, ayahuasca. Like uh, my like company, we had our festival uh, plus like booths for just people. It's crazy. You yeah. can like buy your own booth and sell your own blankets and stuff. Yeah, there. I was gonna say like uh, my company, our developer even Genesis was down there. Doing what? Well, trying to get the na- to get the word out on uh, how awesome we are. Oh, well, I didn't know if you meant yeah. like. He was doing other stuff there. I mean, if you're there, I, I don't know what he's doing, but he seemed pretty uh, psyched for it. So nice. I've never yeah, been, cool. so I don't really know. Oh, I'd love to be there. It sounds awesome. I uh, it might be a bad idea to be in Austin around that time. For you? No, just in general. You know how these work. Everybody floods in, and the city doesn't have the infrastructure to handle the influx of people, so it's just miserable. And and except for the that time sounds that you're like at New York event. every day, though. I, it is New York every day. And we actually had the infrastructure. We would have the infrastructure to handle everybody. If you'd all just go home. Just go home. Let the people who live in New York You're still work here? in New York. We're done here. Go home. <laughs> Party's over. Okay, CBGB's is closed. Just go home. Anyway. Um, mm-hmm. So did you guys, uh, before we get into the news, do you guys have a good week? Yeah. Uh, busy week, but good week. 
No complaints for me. Any any cool stuff in the exciting world of VR, Tyler? Uh, I have no idea right now. <laughs> okay. I, I saw so many news articles today. Like I can't. Or in the last five weeks, I can't remember which one. You want to? Can you remember one of them? Oh God. Um. No. Let's <laughs> <That's> not. <laughs> give me a minute. <laughs> okay. Well, while we give you a minute to do that, let's talk about the news for this week which is uh, that the EU, European Union, European Commission, have done something that they typically like to do to American companies. They give us rules out of nowhere and then threaten to charge us a lot of money if we don't listen to them, offering no help in the process. Um, let's hear it from our news department. No money on presents! News to you! Brussels, Friday, March 17th. The European Commission is taking a step to prevent computer fraud and social media by mandating the companies who provide these services to police for this type of content. Social media providers would have to alter their terms of service to not, quote, require customers to waive mandatory rights, such as their right to withdraw from an online purchase. Advertising must be clearly identifiable, and a service's terms of use, quote, cannot limit or totally exclude the liability in connection with performance of the service. How does that involve taking payments from customers, subscriptions baited with a free trial, but without proper disclaimers, marketing counterfeited products, and fake promotions? All must desist in the near future or face harsh penalties from the governing body that loves taking jabs at American companies. The EU has given these companies one month to propose solutions that comply with the EU's regulatory framework or face harsh penalties, rather than proposing solutions of their own or offering to appear, uh, offering constructive criticism of any kind. Though many Americans are afraid of what happens next, we at least know the world still turns and the truth marches on. That's why this has been News to You, brought to you by Pneumonium. Uh huh. Screw the Americans. Yes. Yeah. Perfect timing. I perfectly timed that anyway. Uh, <laughs> don't take away with it by, from it by talking about it. Yes. Uh, you know the EU loves to do this. They did it to. They, they've done it a million times to Microsoft. They've done it a million times to Google with this. You know, you, you, you guys uh, have too much money. We 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 like some of it. We would like some of your money, yeah. It's a horrible accent. Give us some of that um, internet money. Yeah, because the EU, uh, for some reason, could be its, uh, <laughs> it could be its, uh, you know, heavy regulatory framework that is preventing these startups from, uh, from happening. I was trying to come up with a better. Ah, see, I did it. I managed to hit the new mic stand. Um, <laughs> uh, a new, a new mat, a, 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 a harsh regulatory framework that prevents a lot of startups from happening in Europe, minus Spotify. I'm sure there are a couple more. But that's why most of them happen in the U.S. and Canada, because we seem to be more pro-business. So what happens is we have a better environment for these businesses to uh, get born and succeed. And, and then uh, the EU, once they branch out and, and start going into foreign markets, they like sticking their fingers in our pies, saying, you know, um, you made a lot of money last year. We want some of it. And then the company goes, well, you know, we already got to pay Uncle Sam because we live here. So uh, that's good enough for us. And then if we have we we have offices in your countries, then yeah, we'll pay you taxes. But that's not, you know, they want the golden egg. They want the $600 million. They want the nine-figure check from an American company. So they have said that uh, uh, they have required these companies like Facebook and Twitter and Google 
to uh, better handle online scamming. Now, what's funny is I believe all of these services already have rules against it. But in the EU's grand wisdom, that's not enough. And they also say, it says the EU has given these companies a month to come up with solutions that work within the EU. When these, and, and that's it. Mm. There's, I don't think there's anybody in Brussels that's actually well, coming up with solutions. Like so, I said, no constructive criticism. So another interesting uh, component to this is the fact that the EU has a, basically a second internet. Uh, I forget what it's called, but it ends with the tell. And it's only something that exists in the... Minitel? Something like that. And I think that's French. It's, uh, it's most popular in France, but it does exist within the entire EU. And there are businesses that kind of compete with internet businesses that run on that that would definitely provide more uh, GDP to the EU. If it weren't for... Uh, internet. The internet. Yeah. And, and all of the biggest internet services being American. Yep. And then, of, of the course... Americans. Yes. And, of course, the, con- the companies that are headquartered in our country uh, do many, many gymnastics to prevent paying the tax that they should. Which... Mm-hmm. That's another story, because this is not an accounting podcast. Um, But yeah, uh, the EU has ordered social networks to remove fraudulent posts that can mislead consumers. Examples are scams. Sorry? Fake news. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, they are actually doing that with fake news. I don't know if you've noticed, but some... Uh, some links to certain posts actually will trigger, if you're on a phone, it'll trigger a pop-up window that says, hey, this has been disputed by Snopes. Are you sure you want to view it? Hmm? Yeah. Okay, well, just no, we think it's fake news. Well, isn't... Well, who runs Snopes? Don't ask, don't ask about that. Well, why? Don't ask, don't tell policy. <laughs> oh. where, Snopes is a website. Like, where, did, where does that come from? Oh, okay, the Associated Press also said... Yeah, the Associated Press was caught staging reports. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so, uh, scams involving payments taken from consumers, subscription traps where consumers are offered to register for a free trial, but are not given clear and sufficient information, marketing of counterfeit products, and fake promotions like win a smartphone for one euro have proliferated over social media, which were, in fact, the true contest, but entailing a hidden long-term subscriptions for several hundred euros per year. That The writer of this did not read this out loud before submitting the story. Uh, the EU <laughs> said it has met with all three companies and will give them one month to propose solutions. I can't. Or that compl- to comply with each regulatory framework or risk legal action. This is just another attack on bigger boner pills. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> all the ads are going to go away if that's what you get on your Facebook. Right. If you're like you mean, you get smaller time. boner pills, well, you know, those pills work, so those are not fake. But <laughs> I don't know what kind of ads you want to get on Facebook. For when your <laughs> erection is just too awesome. I believe they're based on your browsing history, Tyler, so are you, are you looking at boner pills a lot? Uh, boner, um, what do you call it, reduction, boner size reduction. Yeah, oh. problem. It's, it's an Again, epi- epidemic, you know, really. It's not chronicled enough. You know, Christian, yeah, I, without... Yeah, in the shaft. <laughs> yeah, people look at me funny when I park in the handicap space, but it's <laughs> then disability. They see, then they see the limp in the uh, third uh, pant leg. Yeah. And they ask you to step aside. <laughs> um, why do I always get asked to be searched when I go through airports? No reason. No reason. Meanwhile, uh, when I go through airport security, I'm just told I have big old strong arms. Wow. Yeah, that was, that's a natural quote. <laughs> 
Yeah, I uh, I opt out. Anyway, because <laughs> uh, I let, I, anyway, you know, t- uh, Christian, because Tyler wasn't here last week, uh, there was much less penis on the show. There is. Yeah, you really bring that element to the show, Tyler. Thank you. You, you bring a lot of penis. Thanks. Yeah, I, as I was saying, you know, goes well with your epidemic. gigantism. Yeah, it's an epidemic, really. I can't help it. <laughs> We're fighting. Right, let's everybody. try to let's let's try to let's try to limit the penis a little bit. Um, I'm trying. That's why I got the pills. <laughs> <laughs> you watched into that one, Eric. <laughs> I did. You almost made me curse. You're okay, not the first uh, one to walk into it. <laughs> oh, all right. More like back into it. So. <laughs> It's like a red yeah. thread that won't end. <laughs> okay. Um, main topic for this week, now that we're 20 minutes in, is about version control. And specifically Git. Uh, Git, I believe, is the most popular version control software out right now. Its biggest competitor is Subversion, and I don't know many people that use Subversion, but I know quite a few people who use Git. And of course, my personal empirical example is a, is a good enough uh, perspective for the rest of the world. So, yeah. No. Uh, Christian, would you say that Git is the most popular version control system right now? Yeah, I'd say so. And uh, a version control system... Well, actually, before we dive into that, do you want to talk about a Git story? There's two Git stories, really. Or do you want to get into what a version control system is? Uh, why don't we do the overview first, and then... All right. Yeah. A version control system is a component of software configuration management, also known as revision control or source control. It's the management of changes to documents, computer programs, large websites, and other collection of information. Changes are usually identified by a number or letter code, termed at the, quote, revision number, revision level, or simply revision. For example, an initial set of files is revision 1. It's pretty simple. Why not revision zero? Anyway, uh, when the, whenever the first change is made, the resulting set is revision two, etc. Each revision is associated with a timestamp and the person making the change. Revisions can be compared, restored, and with some types of files, merged. Version control systems, or VCS, which is an acronym that you'll probably never see, is most commonly run as standalone applications, but revision control is also embedded in various types of software such as word processors and spreadsheets, collaborative web docs, and in various content management systems like Wikipedia's page history or WordPress. Revision control allows for the ability to revert a document to, previous re- uh, to a previous revision, which is critical for allowing editors to track each other's edits correct mistakes, and defend against vandalism and spamming. Like when you guys write penis all over the show notes. You're welcome. Right. Uh, (laughs) uh, The first version control system was an anagram for VCS, which is called CVS, and that's the concurrent version system, and now that you know VCS and CVS, you'll never be able to remember which one is which. VCR. Great. The concurrent version system also known as CVS, or the Concurrent Versioning System, is a client-server free software revision control system in the field of software development. Although I'm sure you could just use this for any sort of text file. A version control system keeps track of all work and all changes in the set of files and allows several developers, potentially widespread in space and time, to collaborate. Dick Groon developed CVS as a series of shell scripts in 1986. In addition to commercial software developers, CVS became popular with the open-source software world and was, na- was then released under the GNU public license. GNU public license, general public license, the GNU GPL. 
While there was regular development to add features and fix bugs in the past, including regular builds and test results, there have been no new releases since 2008. Because we know why. Uh, and if you don't know why, we'll be getting to it soon. CVS uses a client-server architecture. The server stores the current versions of the project in its history and connects the client to the server in order to check out a complete copy of the project. Then the client works on their copy, their checked-out copy, and then checks in their changes. A CVS labels a single project, and a set of, which is a set of related files, as a module. A CVS server stores the modules it manages in its repository. Programmers acquire copies of modules by checking it out. The checked out files serve as a working copy, a sandbox, or a workspace. Changes to the working copy are reflected in the repository by committing them. To update it, to update is to acquire or merge the changes in the repository with the working copy. I don't believe CVS had branches. Nope. Uh Releases. Uh, Grun publicly released the code on June 23rd, 1986. That was 11 months before I was born. Uh, the code was uh, eventually... Uh, the code uh, eventually... That invent- the code that eventually evolved into the current version of CVS started with Brian Berliner in April 1989. He's a jelly donut. In November 19th, 1990, CVS version 1.0... Holy crap, it actually made a release was submitted to the Free Software Foundation for development and distribution. They didn't want to be perpetually beta, or was that not the trend back then? No, it was not the trend back then. I uh, got you. They got, their, they got the release out just in time for Roger Waters' the, the Wall, live at the Berlin Wall, uh, in 1990. Anyway, so that's the uh, 20th century... Sorry to pop. This new pop screen, I don't, know if, I don't think it works. Um, so the CVS was the 20th century way of... Uh, handling versions and code. In the 21st century way, uh, there's three of them. And two of them are really popular. So the first is Subversion. I should say all second. three of them are very popular. but Is Mercurial really popular? Yeah, it's used to pretty large companies because it does pander uh, to large projects very well, actually. Ugh. Does it... Can you, can, you, can you just use Git and have it translate to Mercurial? Uh, there are, like, export scripts out there. Well, let's take a step back and talk about Subversion, or SVN. That first stable release was in 2004, and it was created by CollabNet. It featured commits, file-independent branching, which CVS definitely didn't do, locking files when merges collected, which I'm sure was very nice, and I'm conflicted. sure CVS... Oh, conflicted, sorry. And I'm sure CVS also didn't do that. And a virtualized file system. Why did it need a virtualized file system? So the I way, guess the, so the way uh, Subversion works is instead of it having uh, the actual file uh, being the thing that you can access, it is a combination of the blobs uh, that SVN was uh, saving. Uh, so this is kind of like the common thing nowadays to say each each change is considered a blob in Git. Uh, sorry, in version control. And uh, with that, uh, the what's actually on the file system are, is just a combination of all these blobs as opposed to the actual thing on the f- uh, file system. Blobs sound funny. But everything does blobs these days. Git definitely does blobs. Yep. Uh, Mercurial probably does. In fact, actually, SVN might use the entire file as a blob. Uh, uh, but, so, uh, like, each blob would be a file in its virtualized file system? Yeah, it'd be a, ver- a version of the file. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um... The problem... Oh, well, I'll keep, I'll keep reading here. Uh, no actual concept of a, re- of a remote. All versioning was local to a specific machine. 
Due yeah. to the lack of a remote, the idea of hosting a website can be considered most file hosting sites. What? So, like, uh, either you had, uh, like, um, anywhere where you could uh, host a directory of files to be accessed over the internet would really be considered having a remote, uh, whether it be just some uh, drive with, uh, like, a SAN or NAS unit uh, in your data center or some NFS-mounted directory, or you uh, were using something like SourceForge to just pull the whole thing. So any, any, basically any folder with a .svn directory inside of it yeah. is good enough for a remote. Yeah, but ideally you wanted it to be able to be somehow connected over the web, so that way you're, it was just, here's your branch, and then you wanted to merge in. There was no concept of, like, a, since we all use Git, uh, there's the Git push and pull. The SVN doesn't have a concept of that. It's just... It's just check in, check out. Yeah. Right? Yep. And so you check it in, you make your changes, and you check it out. You know, the problem I found, I actually started with Subversion in uh, 2007, 2006. And uh, it's interesting because a big, a big pitfall of it is that it insists on creating .svn directories in every directory of your project. Well, that's part of how it does the... Uh, yes, but Git, in a much more elegant way, just makes one directory at the root of your project called .git. And yes. it doesn't recursively create directories that you would then have to index or remove. Yes. This is a big problem. It's a big pain in the ass. Yes. So, um, did you ever use Subversion, Tyler? Only when I worked with you. Did we use Subversion at Heartbeat? We did. Oh, man. We had some application with a turtle icon that was a GUI for SVN. <laughs> oh, yes. I, I don't remember turtle, what that was. But I did like that turtle. Right, right. I remember that. Yeah, and there are, uh, of course, graphical, there are GUI versions uh, or GUI wrappers for all of these. Uh, GUI client. Well, they basically wrap. They're not, a, they're not necessarily a client. They're just a wrapper for the shell commands, really. Yeah, they wrap the shell commands, but it because was, it, it cause you still, still have be, to have like you still the, have to have Subversion installed on your system. Yeah, to use. but I imagine you guys had some centralized server somewhere running the actual SVN repo, so it's a client. Sure. Um, okay. So that's Subversion. Do you have any, any interesting Subversion stories, Christian? No. I, uh, weirdly enough, I've never encountered that. I worked in the days of using FTP. I, and, uh, well, that's definitely not I, versioning. No, but that was kind of the alternative because... Uh, I have used that you know, for a project, too. <laughs> yeah. Have weird. you? Actually, uh, Tyler, uh, the one I'm thinking of is uh, when Tyler and I first worked together. Oh, I forgot. I, I, I'm having trouble figuring out if you're saying it's weird as in a sarcastic way, or it's weird because you both are, 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 are stuck in the modern world of web development and don't remember how we did it in the old days. Software development in general. <laughs> yes, well, FTP is a... I grew up on FTPing files. Or, uh... You can't tell net files. Yeah, it was FTP. Well, you technically can tell net files. It's just... It's not telnet at that point. Does it use FTP? No, telnet is that? just an open TCP connection. No, but I mean when you FTP is built on top of TCP though, so in a sense you could build FTP. So when you send if you telnet. sent a file using Telnet, then it would basically do an FTP connection. No, no, it wouldn't. No, it wouldn't. But you no, no there's no. a whole FTP handshake that just would not be there that Telnet's not doing. Oh, so then when you sent a file over Telnet, it would be what? Just it, Telnet. It would be just you're sending text over a TCP connection. Gotcha. What if you wanted to send binary data? 
that's all also allowed. <laughs> it's TCP. Okay. Anyway, uh, Mercurial first released in two thousand five. Now I don't have any I don't have any experience with Mercurial other than I can hardly say it, other than seeing it as an option to make a new repo on Bitbucket when you uh, do that. Mercurial first released in 05, all but diff, diff uh, um, finding the differences in files, mm-hmm. is implemented in Python, so it's a bit slower in comparison to other options. How do the other guys do it? Um, C. Oh. Yeah. Uh, allows for both lo- local and remote repositories. Uses a tree of file blobs to manage the state of files. I think that's similar to what Git does. Yes, yes. Mer- Mercurial and Git are very different aside from uh, one feature Git does that Mercurial uh, might do now, but at least it didn't do for a while. Which is what? Uh, the uh, object compa- uh, c- uh, compaction uh, in uh, compressing, sorry, uh, within the tree. So um, when we get to Git, uh, there's a mention of the fact that all the objects in the tree are uh, periodically uh, compressed and packed away, so that way it's not taking up all, as much uh, room as uh, something else would. How is it compressing them? Just gzip or? Uh, or I guess no, it's not a. It's not. No, how is it compressing them? I I don't know offhand. In fact, I, if I, if I remember correctly, Mercurial does like a journaling instead. Hmm. Isn't that what like NTFS and uh, HFS Plus do? They technically do versioning in the file system. Uh, all file systems these days offer something like that, whether it be copy on write or uh, where you're actually adding layers that you can undo. Or, right. or it is doing journaling, which is like a, that new uh, file system on um, OS X that uh, is, people are like, whoa, this is super cool. Uh, that whole thing was uh, the fact that it was doing journaling. So all of a sudden you say in a blog, uh, this content was written to a file. So that way, even if that wasn't actually written to disk or somehow corrupted, you have that log to refer to and say, okay, just recreate that uh, data into that file because this happened based on the log. Huh. And that new uh, file system is called, of course, the Apple file system, which Creative. might have actually been what they used before HFS for, like, the Apple II. Hmm. The name, not the file system, of course. But, um, yeah. It's, uh, it, I, think if you're, uh, I think you will automatically be updated on iOS 10.3. And uh, not that you'll notice a difference on the phone, but on the desktop, probably be the next version of OS 10. Uh, but that's... What, what, is really, what is really different about, about APFS, Apple's file system? Oh, it's included in macOS Sierra. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. No, oh, as a beta. Yeah, so, so the, yeah. the big things are, like, like I mentioned, the journaling, and it also does the copy on write, so that's... NTFS uh, does journaling. I mean, yeah. HFS Plus, I'm sorry, does journaling. Yeah, so there's journaling, but that plus copy on write, which the idea of copy on write is you have these layers in the file system that are just kind of like uh, each write, so that way you have all these files, or uh, like each layer is actually Everything's shared. a pointer until, you, until it needs to be used, and then, or until it changes. Well, that's, until it mutates. That's the idea of uh, co- copy on write memory, but uh, copy write on write file system is the idea of you have a file system that until something changes, it's all considered a, the same layer, and then each change is a new layer to the file system, so if you want to undo a change, you just undo that layer, but the, the only thing that sucks there is then you're also undoing all subsequent layers. You can get in some advanced stuff where then you can say, okay, take everything else that was on the, those uh, new layers and bring them down, but then they're considered new layers, so it can be a bit costly. Gotcha. 
Um, and of course, there was the uh, SQL-based file system that Microsoft had tried to bake into Windows Vista and failed. Uh, that was called what? Uh, I don't know, but that just sounds uh, bad. A headache. Yeah. No, it had a cool. No, it was supposed to be the future because it was like it's, that. It, is, it was like finding files can just be a SQL query now. What was it like? And, uh, is it just SQL Lite or is it Access? I don't know. Right, because I want to write extra raw SQL queries. Access, access file systems. There we go. That's probably one. Oh it yikes! <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, you'll have to. It's in the lures of things that were promised for Windows Longhorn that became Windows Vista that never happened. Um. Anyway, I think it might have just been called like DBFS or something like that. Um, and uh, by the way, about Mercurial, Facebook and Google tend to use Mercurial, and I believe uh, Google has created its own fork of it to work better with its mm. hundreds of millions of lines of code. Yeah, Mercurial lends itself very well to large projects due to the way it handles the, the concept of users and uh, the fact that it is a much more distributed thing. You don't have to have absolutely one source of truth to write to you can have uh, all sorts of distributed ones that then kind of uh, share state of so you can have multiple remotes basically uh why would you want to do that uh if you have a very large company that's uh, globally distributed instead of always pushing to the same repo over and over again it can actually share that data but with branches and forks and stuff it should be fine yeah that's uh, that allows you to make those changes but then you're also having to deal with keeping all those changes in oh yeah I, that based on the uh, I'm based on last week's discussion on having uh multiple things instead of one thing it's probably a bad idea to have if you have a large team for everyone to be pushing to one single repo is that what it is yep yeah distributed distributed it's the keyword of 2017 code it's take the microphone cool. out of your throat please tyler it's not cool if it's not distributed yes <laughs> No and, longer cool. Uh, it's no longer worth it. It's no longer even worth writing. Screw it. It's lame. It's not cool. <laughs> it's official. It's got to be go. asynchronous. It's got to be some other shit. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It doesn't have to be asynchronous. asynchronous oh, right, right. We passed totally. that. That was the last five years. Async, async, async. And then this year, no, sometimes it's got to be sync, brah. Why, why does it sometimes have to be sync? I don't know. I'm not the one that sets these trends. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't asking you. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Oh, Christian, that's your question. <laughs> well, it all depends on what you're actually doing. Like, if you're just doing networking, yeah, be async. Uh, if you're doing things like all of a sudden you're CPU intensive, uh, you want the the I/O to be synchronous, but then you you can have as many threads that you need to handle the computations. And you know, it's this, all way, the, like, I, this way, this way the UI or the I/O doesn't choke while you're doing a network transaction. Yeah. yeah. Which that one thing, by the way, has has what has been. Ugh, I can't talk today. I'm sorry. Uh, that one thing, by the way, has been what's plagued Windows XP's responsiveness forever. It was most of the time that it like it looks like it's going to crash or it says not responding. It's actually waiting for some kind of network thing to bounce back. But they that blocks the, the way they did it is they have it block the UI, which then makes you think that your computer's crashed when it's just waiting for something. Well, back then a lot of computers had only two cores, so. or one core. Yeah, hardcore. R no, but you could do, uh, there was a way to do it. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, but anyhow. Anyway, yeah. uh, to the most popular version control system, Git. Released G-I-T, not JIT, even though I say JIF. Oh, that's an interesting inconsistency. Um, that's a creator Git, spec. sorry? That's a creator spec. 
Uh, Git, first released in 2005, the year I graduated from high school, created by Linus Torvalds. So you know it was awesome. Yes. And uh, it seems to be the... It seems to have possibly the steepest learning curve, but once you're in it, uh, it's, it's, it's the most... It has the best equilibrium between features and ease of use mm. and uh, ability to recover from failures. And the um, worst diagrams ever. Why? Uh, every time someone tries to make a branching diagram that says, here, this will explain Git, it's like, oh, no, that's way harder. <laughs> there was that, it. <laughs> that would have been fine. There was that Git cheat sheet that we got uh, from that DigitalOcean meetup uh, a few months ago. Oh, I didn't take one. <laughs> I didn't take one either yeah. because we both, we, I think we both looked at it and we're like, yeah, I know this. Yeah. yeah. Have, <laughs> that's, that's awesome to offer, though, because I, I do know, like, uh, well, I see a lot of these more. Do you know someone who could who... use it? Maybe he's on this podcast. <laughs> oh, not cool, dude. <laughs> no. But... <laughs> oh no! I one time read a. Post Tyler was saying that it would be cool to have something like that, and I said that's why. Oh no! Yeah. I, I one time read a book on Git. Um, I read the first four and a half chapters, and it was so dumb by that point because it was just like theoretically. Imagine we had this, and imagine we had this, and then by chapter four, we were theoretically at like a fifty thousand person company, and. Everything had gone haywire, and we we're going to be able to fix it. And I was like, I don't care. I'm not going to need this. Well, you could argue that's kind of the problem with many technology books in general. I remember uh, I was, I won, when I was in 10th mean, grade, I was reading this depends. book on C. And uh, I'd say it depends on, the one, the author, two, uh, who the audience they're trying to write for is. Because I find, like, particularly when they're writing for, like, the more you know your stuff, this is just more detailed stuff or a new thing to learn for you. Those ones, it's just like, okay, get down to the facts, as opposed to these ones where it's like, we're trying to get you intrigued into the world of programming or something like that, where all of a sudden they go into like the history of time or something like that. Right. No, no, no. But the, the dilemma that you end up with, and I think, Tyler, you might have ended up in the same, the same way, is you kind of want to just do it. Like, you want, like, it's hard to read a book about hypothetically doing something on a computer, and then you have to take the knowledge that you read and then apply it on the computer. Like, it's... Like, it's hard to read, I don't know, it just, I feel like there's a disconnect between, like, reading a book, not on a computer, and then having to do stuff on the computer with knowledge from the book that isn't there. Anyway. Sure, no, I've been writing code for three years professionally, and I have never needed anything that wasn't after chapter two in that book. Well, if I ever get a hold of a, that, get, that Git cheat sheet for you, Tyler, well, I'll save it. Were, that, that cheat were, sheet uh, is much better than that, that book. There were no, the cheat sheet. When uh, there were all-day rebases, but... Uh... That was because uh, of uh, communication error, I feel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. That was different. But, yeah. There <laughs> ah, we go, all day rebases. Um, so, uh, supports com uh, Git supports commits, of course. Staging changes before committing. File independent branching. Distributed remotes. Periodic. Well, distributed remotes. That's kind of like Mercurial's having the not single source so of truth. It's, it's different in this case. You have the single repo, but then you can have mirrors as opposed to uh, being able to write to others. Oh. Um, periodic object packing and forking. <laughs> I already used the uh, quagmire. Yeah. Giggity, 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 but the, yeah. That, that one deserves a giggity. Okay. That means two things. Um, each tree... Uses a blob of diffs to keep track of the state, which is similar to subversion. Yes? It's similar to all of them, except this one, Sub it's uh, these binary blobs that then can be unpacked to actually represent uh, 
pieces of text within a file. Do you know how these are compressed? I do not know offhand what algorithm it uses. I believe, um, actually, I do know that uh, if you use the embeddable uh, libgit in my project, which I have used that in the past, uh, particularly for my CI/CD uh, server stuff, uh, Maestro, it uses libgit, and it uh, by default it won't do compaction. But if you compile it with zlib, uh, then it will actually uh, uh, do uh, compaction. Compression. Compaction, not compression. compression. Uh, they, they use the word packing and compressing, and I just couldn't kind of combine the two. Compaction. You couldn't comp You couldn't compact the yeah. two. Yeah. I like compaction. Like that sounds like it could be a real word. Yeah, doesn't it? But it's not. No. Um, <laughs> sorry. Maybe in the 2018 Webster's Dictionary they'll add it. Um, <clears throat> uh, let's see. The tree uses a tree of diff blobs to keep track of state. Each object has. An SHA1, the type of hash, object ID mapping at the time that. of its creation. Sorry? Nothing. It's a type <laughs> of hash. Oh. Uh, mapping its time of creation, type of object, which is usually a commit or merge, and the size of the object. The motive behind Git was to create a service that supported better, non-linear, distributed development for small to large-scale projects. Git can run as a server out of the box, but there are many implementations of Git servers as well, and Git clients. We actually just got a license for Git Kraken, which is something that I won't use because I'm perfectly happy with the terminal, mm -hmm. but um, I've heard many good things. Um, so, I know you didn't oh, put this in the uh, show outline, but uh, I just thought I'd mention uh, some of the options for that, which it's Git itself. Oh, I, I didn't. I didn't. I'm sorry. Yeah, Gogs, Bitbucket, which is also called Stash if you're hosting it yourself, GitHub, GitHub Enterprise. Oh, no, they changed that. Uh, actually, it's just Bitbucket now. Huh. GitLab, there's both a hosted and a you-host-it-yourself version. Fabricator, GitBlit, GitT, Garrett, Devio, GitStack, GitBucket, GitTorius, Meet, Giggity, Bonobos. Why isn't there just Git, Giggity or Giggity? Git, Git, Giggity. There's well, got to be. Well, now when I build a Git server, I know what to name it. There you go. Uh, Calithia, Sidra, and Git Prep. So, what do all these do Calithia that are differently from each other? Are they? Is it just like one guy? A lot of them are. Like, uh, I'm going to make a Git server. A lot of them are like different client, um, not with clients, but you know how there's natural GUI to GitHub. A lot of them are different in right. that manner. They offer different features around things, different ways to do. So pull they're requests. basically just wrappers around the Git commands, uh, and with a different type of web-based or native-based CMS. Well, they serve. There's certain things about them that aren't things that Git offers, like organization management, like or, or managing your organizations as in your companies or teams. Many cavemen reinvent wheel. Yeah, yeah. Basically. Um, and I'm going to say GitHub Enterprise is probably making the most money. Yeah, they charge a that. good bit, but also you look at the other people using it, and they're the people who can pay a good bit. Right, and they and then they also have to pay for uh, GitHub to host everybody's every jerk offs uh, repos that they you know when they're coding on the train. Uh, <laughs> that that does take a lot of infrastructure. Someone's got to pay for that, and it's these enterprise people. That's like how you know Mongo distributes free software for these people to use, and uh, their enterprise people are footing the bill. It's a very interesting business model. Mm -hmm. Well, GitHub also makes money off of let's uh, say, or most, if you have a private most, repos, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, most people and companies have private repos these days. Right, right. Um, $7 well spent. Yeah, I'd say so. Yes, until they go down. And it went unlimited. Uh, Sweet. Yeah. Nice. Well, like I think it's like up to five people unlimited, but yeah. 
No, but like before, so, even if you personally paid for yeah, know, before $7, before it was like three or something, three for five dollars or something. Yeah, now they're just like, oh, seven bucks is free unlimited repos. Sweet. Yeah, yeah it's pretty awesome. Bet it's sweet, bro. Sweet so now that we've talked about version control systems and the four biggest version control systems, I'm sure some developer somewhere in Minnesota or Eastern Europe has his own that he's rolled by himself, but hmm. that didn't make the cut for today. Um, let's talk about Git things. There's a uh, thing called Jitter. Gitter? Jitter. I think jitter. I, I, I call it, it Gitter. It makes sense I think if it's, it's called Jitter. jitter. I think it's Jitter. Yeah. I've called it Gitter, though. What is Jitter? Where it, communities so, thrive. So before Slack really caught on is when it first came out. And it was at, uh, what I find pretty interesting about where you're headed with this is the fact that originally it was GitHub really pushing the use of Gitter as the way for communities to have more of this outreach to people trying to use the product or trying to contribute, where instead of having like a... Most people just use Slack these days, even open source things will use Slack, but uh, Gitter is kind of like the uh, competitor for open source projects where it says, here's this uh, well, Jitter, project, uh... and you can chat about it, whether you need help using it or you're trying to actively develop with it. It says on their website, Jitter is trusted by Airbnb, AWS, Google, Microsoft, uh, something Science Lab. Oh, Mozilla's Science Lab, you know, work on their logo. Uh, Rails and the Scala team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some places will use uh, Gitter instead of Slack. I think, I think your, your connection is dying, Christian. Uh, I think I uh, it's just... Uh, I Hopefully your local recording will save us. Uh, yeah, anyway. I would imagine so. Well, let's see what happens. Um, uh, let's see. Okay, so uh, it's basically just a chat client over uh, that you can integrate with Git. Yes. And stuff that happens. So and I mean, it gives you a pretty sweet badge in your repo, uh, your readme file badge. Pretty yeah. sweet. Yeah. But I'm sure there's a Slack bot that can do most of this. Probably. Well, Slack itself could function for this as well. In fact, uh. Like no, but I mean, there's got to be uh, a Slack bot that's like, uh, you know, when you post a new commit to a repo, that it'll add a throw a message in the in the channel saying, "Hey, you've done this." Yeah, there are tons that do that. In fact, you don't even need a Slack bot for that. GitHub has a direct integration into Slack for that. Oh, yeah. Well, that's GitHub though. That's that's not. Git. I mean, that's you know, they're they're not Git. They didn't make Git. They just no. But the biggest you can uh, build flag of it. hooks around that and everything. But yeah. Gotcha. Well, um, so uh, Jitter was just bought by GitLab. Is that what happened? Yes, it's been yep. acquired by GitLab. Wow. Which, Before getting into the details, we'd like to thank the 800,000 plus people who make up the Jitter community for your enthusiasm and support for everything we've done. You've inspired our tiny team to keep shipping and making the open source and developer community a better place to connect to one another. Next piece of WoW, we will be open sourcing all of the jitter. That's right, the web application, the mobile apps, the whole nine yards, free and open. This will not only allow the community to give back and improve jitter for everyone, but it will allow communities to run their own jitter instances. But if your mind isn't completely blown yet, wow, <laughs> then uh, I don't really care. Um, so why GitLab? GitLab is one of the first. What is GitLab? So GitLab is uh, one of the more popular competitors to GitHub, where uh, instead of uh, Git, GitLab also pushes you hosting it, it uh, was its initial product as opposed to them hosting your stuff, and it's uh, entirely private, and uh, it's uh, otherwise very similar to GitHub. 
Uh, it does do pull requests in a uh, fairly noticeably different way. Hey, you said the name of the show. Up, oh, he said it. 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 And that's why I have to be Superman three. <laughs> <laughs> um. So GitLab is basically another GitHub. Yeah, uh, it function. It, it solves the same problem, but it, it's in lower ways. in the. But it's lower on the internet yellow pages because H is before L. Well, that and Git, uh, GitHub came first, so it was more popular. Right, that's why they should have been triple A, A-A-A, GitLab.com. That would have been much better for them. Does Google or- index alphabetically? When you get the Verizon Internet Yellow Pages, Tyler, I'm sure you'll get a copy this year. Um, the kids yeah. at home, Yellow Pages is a phone book. That's the thing that had all the numbers of all the people that lived in your town before the no, the No, that was the white pages. The Yellow Pages were for businesses and for ads. Okay, well, you got both pages in the same book. And, and they no, they still give. They still give. If you no, they still give them out. Yeah. You ever come home one day to a bunch of just random books on your stoop? That's Verizon. Thanks, you ever, guys. You ever pull a Steve Martin, look yourself up in there, and go, um, somebody? Because I feel like Eric does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, because I don't uh, get the white pages. <laughs> I don't even have a phone. Well, I, I don't even have. A, I don't have. A, I think you need a real landline to get the white pages. Anyway. Oh, that's right. Um, oh, no wonder none of us have them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and when I lived in Pittsburgh, uh, I just, I, I put a sign that was like, just throw them in the recycle bin. <laughs> just, I'm not even going to bring them in, so just deposit yellow for the Verizon yellow pages here, because there's no way, there's no reason to open them up. Anyway, um, unless, of course, you want the, um, the best sushi restaurant on the Allegheny Plateau, which I'd advise everybody to not eat sushi when you're away from any coast, or seafood. Not a good idea. What's the Allegheny yeah, Plateau? Plateau in- well, I mean, you think about it, you know... Uh, Allegheny Plateau, a hillbilly song? No. Pro- probably. It's a... It's a yeah. You know what, probably. It's, <laughs> it, it's a very large geographical region that extends into western New York and western Pennsylvania, and I think western Maryland and West Virginia. A lot of the west. The east-west. It's not the Midwest. It's almost the Midwest. It's the west of the east. Anyway. Um, so when I say that, because when you talk to people from the real Midwest, like Min- like Minnesota, they will say Pittsburgh is definitely the Northeast, and those places are definitely in the East. Um, anyway, I'd call it the off mid- topic. Mid East, but okay. Mid East, Middle yeah. East. We could do that. That's oh, it. yeah. Uh, all right. So let's see. Uh, frequently asked questions. Can I continue to use jitter? I don't care. Um, it's okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, here's something that actually is much more interesting. GitHub Enterprise Remote Code Execution. Mm-hmm. Every time somebody uses GitHub, if you have a large amount of green paper or you're very paranoid about your code, you can run your own GitHub. For $2,500 USD per 10 users, you can get GitHub Enterprise, a virtual machine containing a fully featured GitHub instance. Despite a few edge cases that are handheld or handled with an occasional github.enterprise question mark invocation, it runs the same code base as the original. So let's hack it. Somebody basically reverse well they they it's not even reverse engineering. No, they were able to deobfuscate and then recompile the code for uh for the for GitHub Enterprise and oh, then so they just ran it on A lot of uh, a lot of GitHub is written in Ruby. They have some Ruby ba- isn't compiled. No, it's not it's JIT compiled? Nope, it's interpreted. Is PHP compiled? Yeah, that's JIT. That it, PHP is JIT compiled. Yeah, it depends on what PHP uh, runtime you're using. If you're using HHVM. Oh, HHVM's got to interpret it because it uses a different thing. That's the default one interprets it. HHVM JIT compiles it. 
Oh. Hey, I would have guessed that right. Why? I actually just knew that. <laughs> well, why wouldn't HHVM interpret it? Because it has a completely different framework. It would because have to interpret the PHP it, code into the HHVM code. Decompiling is generally... Right? No, what? No. HHVM is generally considered a much faster way to uh, execute interpretable code. Like V8, uh, the uh, JavaScript uh, runtime is a JIT compiler. And what JIT compilation is, is it's like interpretation, but instead of uh, just going through each uh, bit of code and executing it as it runs, it does the, uh, interprets it all to translate it into an intermediate language and then executes that intermediate language. But isn't... So these these lines, I mean, it's a high, Ruby is still a high level language, so it has to be in, when it's interpreted. It's like is that like a micro compilation? It's interpreted like kind of? it's uh, so Ruby is very similar to Python in a lot of ways, and uh, it seems like it. Uh, in fact, there's been a lot more work about uh, trying to get Python to be faster. It's always complained about more, but Ruby also has the same issue of the fact that it's being interpreted, so it goes line by line for code execution or however many lines it is until it does need to execute something. Hmm. And, Interesting. Uh, so, so this takes a lot longer, uh, and basically Ruby... Uh, Ruby started as kind of like an alternative to Bash, actually, where it's just a bunch of little C modules that you're executing. Gotcha. Wow. Yeah. Makes sense. Very chill with the file system. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, this post talks about the vulnerability. There are two problems with the above code. Uh, the environment variable enterprise session secret is never set, so the secret defaults to the value in the code. It has a default value given. Mm. You can sign arbitrary cookies and set your session ID as you like. However, this does not help you since the session ID is 32 random bytes. But you can now feed arbitrary data into the marshall.load function. This is very... I mean, you kind of have to be looking at at what this guy is doing. Yeah, but um, basically uh, it's the fact that they managed to reverse engineer a bunch of uh, the GitHub code. Which is enterprise level, as in this is where they make their money, and he could just put his yeah, own... Yeah, but the, this is also pretty much the same code base as a lot of the services that are in GitHub, while there are other services that aren't included here that uh, GitHub Enterprise goes back to or just doesn't have. Uh, it's still... So it's a way that you could potentially attack GitHub itself, like GitHub Enterprise itself. Well, clearly what he what he's uh, found is the web service, or at least one of the web services. And mm. uh, it does seem to be that it's dealing with sessions is the big one that he uh, has an example of. And so uh, one thing is I saw the word CGI in there, and anytime there's CGI, you can usually oh. assume that there's going to be... <laughs> Some kind of remote execution. code execution. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> That's been a 25-year-old problem. Thanks, guys, for fixing that. Uh, it's funny. He's piping things into temp slash pwned. Hilarious. Um, anyway. Uh, oh, but at least he, set the, he sent the exploit code and made an ASCII logo for it. This guy is hilarious. Um, He's to GitHub. So he's actually not just a black hat. He's probably a gray hat hacker. I, I really hope he's, this guy gets a job with GitHub because of He this. should. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was kind of the, uh, that was the old uh, urban legend with the FBI. If you could hack the FBI's web website and they find out, you go to jail. If they, you hack the FBI's website and they don't find out, you get a job. And they don't find out? As in, like, you can tell them, hey. Oh, okay, yeah. Doing what this guy you. did, basically, you know? Like, hey, yeah. I was able to get into your stuff. Do you want to know how? They're like, yes. 
because you committed a felony, but we want to hire you. So I'm I'm looking at the bottom of this article now, and they show uh, the timeline where he says uh, on January 26th, he reported the issue to GitHub, and uh, on the 26th, GitHub also gets back. They gave him a t-shirt! And then, yeah, they they awarded him uh, $10,000 for a bug bounty. That's pretty awesome. No, 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 but but he got a t-shirt. Well, yeah, I mean, mean, that's the important part to me, too. I mean, you're talking to a guy who about a half of a month of his wardrobe is just tech shirts, so. Yeah, you have the whole internet in shirts. I do. Uh, (laughs) I-O-S, internet of shirts. Uh, so yeah, 31st January, uh, GitHub awarded a $10,000 bounty, a t-shirt, a few stickers, a few <laughs> stickers, and a free lifetime personal plan, and a place in their Hall of Fame. Awesome, bruh. Uh, while finishing this article, finalizing this article, they paid him another eight grand. Look at that. Yeah, that's a decent amount of money there. That's, uh... So, you made 18 grand off of finding an exploit in GitHub, but of course, this is kind of that nefarious behavior that we can't entirely advocate people to do. Well, but made... it does... Because this guy was forthright and he went to GitHub about it, and they were forthright and said, oh man, this guy really has us. Uh, it looks like they have an amicable relationship. Mm-hmm. Rather than... Of uh, right, rather, well, rather than... Uh, was it Microsoft? There was some company where someone was like, I have a zero-day exploit, and they told them, and they were like, yeah, you know, go uh, F yourself. Oh, and, there, there was the... Um... Uh, and then they got, and they got one of the uh, credit card companies. Uh, no, uh, one of the f- t- uh, phone companies on their uh, user portal on iPads with uh, 3G connections back in the day. Some guy, uh, and I'm using air quotes with this, hacked uh, the iPad by realizing that there was a query param in there that just said account number. And if you added one, oh, you, you just access the other user's account. <laughs> And he reported it to them, and they ended up uh, sicking the uh, cops on him. What? That's a, that's there are two possible outcomes to this type. Sorry, how is that legal? It's it, how is what he, legal? It's not he, legal. They said it's completely hacked. illegal. What he did? Yeah, they said he hacked. It. Yeah, oh, it was oh, Verizon. Is notice something and be like, hey, of course. Of course it's Verizon. By the way, if you've noticed, I think they're uh, building on First Avenue. The Death Star is almost is almost operational. I can see them putting in the final panels of Windows. Um, something, knows, something dark side. Yeah, basically. Who knows what that building is going to be, other than siphoning everybody's information through it. There's so uh, many buildings in New York that already do that. But the thing is, yes. Uh, the thing is, is that... Uh, that's one, you know, the, the, like I said, there are two ways to go about this. The one way is you say, wow, good job, you know, give him a job or a bunch of money or some kind of goodies, and then, you know, make, have him keep coming back with more exploits that he might find, or uh, rat him out to the cops because that is technically hacking. It is technically acquiring access to something that you were not authorized to do and making the software perform outside of the legally allowed terms of service, which is illegal. So, uh, is a crime... And with the amount that uh, law enforcement doesn't understand technology other than how to attract people on Facebook, um, it makes hey, sense. It's really sad, but it makes same sense. Same movie I liked. Huh. <laughs> we better take a patrol off of him. Right. No, I'm talking about the people that get arrested because they use a gun emoji. Uh, that actually happened a couple of years ago in New York. Oh, sure. Um, anyway. Yeah. yeah. Some, yeah you, I, Tyler, I remember we were working at Heartbeat when this happened. Uh, I, that uh, somebody posted a Facebook status that had like a gun and, and, and like face emoji in it, and that guy was arrested. So be careful what you post. Um, another public service announcement while we're in this rat hole is puddles of water may be deeper than you think. Because of the recent inclement weather, and now that the snow is starting to melt, it is uh, crude puddles of water 
and many major intersections across New York City. And uh, even some snow that looks like snow or something that looks like road may actually be an ankle-deep puddle of 25-degree liquid. And uh, notice I didn't say water. It's some kind of liquid that may be below freezing for water, but is, has many chemicals in it. Um, I now have a sixth toe. So I was going to say, it sounded like you're speaking from uh, experience. <laughs> yeah, no, what happened was on the, day that it, on the day that it snowed, I went outside after it was over. And the first thing I did was I walked to the end of my street and stuck my foot right into a bunch of really cold water. And then my uh, you foot was go, numb. Anyway, you go swimming uh, in the Gowanus instead? Oh no, no! I gotta wait. I got. I don't want to. I don't powers. If you want to be in an yeah. X Men movie, if you want to get, if if you want, you want to get hypothermia and hepatitis at the same time, <laughs> swim in the Gowanus Canal. Uh, <laughs> and that's been another public service announcement. <laughs> um, so I, I think we've <laughs> we've hit the hour mark. Let's uh, let's end with a a nice news story. Let's talk about um, Docker donating. Container D to the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. And we have somebody, I believe, is part of the Cloud Native Computing Foundation with us on the phone. Is it Christian? Uh, I'm not actually part of it, but I do. Oh. I am involved in some of the projects that are. You blew the intro. I didn't blow the intro. You got to get your alternative facts straight. Uh, it's true to me. <laughs> I appreciate that. No problem. <laughs> anyway, so you, you've done work for the CNCF. Uh, I haven't done work for them, but some of their projects, Strike I have, two. I have okay. code that I've committed to those projects. You've code that you've committed to projects that are owned by? Go- governed by. Slash governed by. by. I, okay. I, think, I think they prefer the word governed by. But What uh, does the CNCF do? So Cloud Native Compute Foundation, it's like the Linux Foundation, but specifically for cloud native tools, which at this point are uh, Kubernetes, Open Tracing, which is actually just a standard, not an actual project, uh, FluentD, um, gRPC, Linkerd, uh, Containerd, and Rocket are the uh, the last two being the newest additions. And the D, of course, stands for Daemon, not not uh, oh. well. Usually, Tyler uh, Daemon. Yeah, I was gonna say. Uh, I was waiting for no we were waiting for you. Yeah. <laughs> no idea. Uh, yeah. Um, so a lot of a I lot of back end. <laughs> <laughs> I took some super male vitality before uh, starting the show, so I feel like the inner Alex Jones is trying to get out. Anyway, um, what? <laughs> we'll have to talk about conspiracy theories if we go on for much longer. But <clears throat> um, no, no. Uh, so it, it's a bunch of demons that typically run on server demons that run on servers, and uh, most and of them are demons, uh, not all of them. Not all of them, but a lot of them are, and there are service and there are services that are used by a, that are you could would you say they're the bedrock of a lot of cloud uh, cloud services branded cloud services? I mean, uh, in some cases, yes. A lot of these newer ones that are uh, to help you run in the cloud are uh, built on top of these, but it's really that these tools help you uh, have your code exist in the cloud very easily, like. Um, the, the oh, but all the big companies have donated a piece of something, or I shouldn't say all of them, but a lot of the big companies, Google, Microsoft, possibly Facebook. I don't think Apple has uh, Docker. Uh, and- Microsoft has done work towards it, um, but they haven't actually They were on it. that uh, flowchart. Whatever. 
Well, th- so there's oh, so that chart that is the uh, I'm happy you brought that up. That's the cloud native landscape, and part of the argument there is the fact that it's not just the tools that they govern that you necessarily have to use to be quote unquote cloud native. It's just this landscape that you follow. Then these are the kind of tools that just make uh, running in the cloud a lot easier. So you gotcha. have things like containers, orchestration, uh, m- um, some way of messaging between services like gRPC or uh, Rabbit MQ's AMQP protocol, or um, uh, more Link- acronym soup, basically. Linkerd or um, what's what's the thing Lyft built uh, that's really cool? Um, Lyft. And- oh, they built a mobile app. They have that, but they also have a uh, they have an open source project that they, they have an open source project that's a lot like. Uh, it's a lot like Nginx, but a little bit more. Uh, Why would they want to do that? Uh, the big thing is Nginx doesn't support service discovery out of the box, and Envoy does, and then a lot. Of, otherwise, it's uh, very similar in that it's just a uh, reverse proxy to the service discovery uh, things. Gotcha. So uh, Docker donated ContainerD, which is uh, at the core of Docker. It's not all of it, but it's it's what is. It's basically Docker's it's way what, of wrapping um, container, making containers. It's what basically old Docker was, but then they uh, kind of pulled it out and made it a bit better because it was uh, pulled out. And that then uh, the, what now is Docker kind of just wraps around this and a few other things. But ContainerD is just a uh, supervisor to uh, manage Run-C containers, which were just the first containers to follow the whole OCI uh, spec. And Run-C containers are a Unix standard, right? Uh, they are the o- type OCI standard. OCI which, standard, okay. Uh, that, then those can uh, run on... Uh, they're fully spec'd out for uh, Solaris, um, Windows, and Linux. But uh, other OSs could, in fact, uh, implement the OCI standard as long as they follow the specs. Gotcha. And now, um, so with, with container D, what does that mean? What are the ramifications for that in the rest of the well, things that are part of CNCF? The big thing was, uh, before being owned by Docker, uh, it was really just... Uh, Docker and anyone who uh, Docker felt could actually pull in their code. Now that it's owned by CNCF, it's uh, like Docker was a company who uh, open source is what was, uh, well, it wasn't directly bringing them revenue, it was helping bring in revenue. And when it was owned by them, they could make changes to help their revenue as opposed to now this open source governing body that isn't making revenue uh, from their projects ha- manages it. It's the idea of making money off of it isn't uh, driving development. It's the idea of making a better product. Hmm. Gotcha. I shouldn't call it a product. I should say project. <laughs> service? Yeah. Well, not really service either. Not it's really a service. Yeah, so project, yeah. project, project work. Yeah. Okay. Um, is that it? I believe so. Uh, any, any, Tyler, do you have anything to add? No, I think we submitted pulling out their container D and the ramifications. So giggity. Oh my god! Thank you. <laughs> my god, thank you. That was. Th- I, I salute you, sir. <laughs> okay. Uh, things for our uh, audience. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> and on that note, I think that's uh, everything that we've got for this week. That's all the time we have, even though it's a podcast that have no time limits. Uh, that's all the time we have for this week's pull request. Uh, so, Christian, do you approve this week's pull request? LGTM. Tyler, do you approve this po- week's pull request? Plus one. Well, then let's all hit merge. And we'll see you next week right here on Pull Request. 
This has been a Pneumonium production. The views and opinions expressed on Pull Request do not necessarily reflect those of Pneumonium LLC or its subsidiaries.